Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, wanting to be James Bond, Dave Popovich. Mm-hmm. How you doing? Yeah, good. Not James Bond, but still good. Not even no, close. Not even close. You tried your James Bond <laughs> impression before we started the show. That's why I called him James Bond. Uh, um, yeah, not even close. Not even close. Well, I'll keep trying. That's a lifelong. Yeah, retirement's a journey, not a destination, buddy. And I'm on a journey to become James Bond before I die. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Step one would be what? Well, get cool. That's a lot of work. Get cool. <laughs> well, yeah. I ask my daughters all the time, is your dad cool? I, I th- no. Let's start with proper English is what James Bond started with. And then let's lead to uh, get cool. Get cool. <laughs> I thought that'd be a good place. Yeah. I got along with it. Anyways, good thing the journey's a long one. Uh, he speaks the Queen's English. You're not even close, buddy. Oh, wow. Okay. So aside from cool, what were cool in the markets? Or the markets were cool this week. The equity markets Month were to date. cool. Month yeah. to date. It's been a typical... August, September is volatile, so this is typical. Um, we are seeing sensitivity mm-hmm. in the in the markets. Um, if you look at some of the high growth companies, have been um, I'd say slapped around in the markets. Yep. Um, but there hasn't been too much that's been spared. No, no, it's exactly. It's right. not like they're hiding somewhere in the equity right. market. Right. They're not necessarily hiding in the bond market right. either. That's right. Yeah, we had a, you know, you had fears, fears reignite. Now, you know, this year has been an interesting year, but it's probably been better than what most people expect. And we're going to talk about that. In fact, we've got a terrific guest to help us understand a little bit about this year, where we're going and what his expectations are. And that's our chief, our chief economist at CIBC, Avery Schenfeld. So you want to stick around for that. But this week, no, this month, excuse me, I think you're right. This month, you know, we've got fears spiking again. Um, how far do central banks go from here in raising rates? And probably the discussion starts switching to how long are they going to keep rates higher? That sparked some concern in markets this week. Why? Why did the markets have concern about the FOMC's minutes Mm -hmm. that they were discussing that possibly higher for longer? Right. Um, Why is that a big concern today? Well, so the concern, so the FOMC has been pretty clear about this. They haven't changed their language. I don't think last, maybe you read it differently, I don't think the minutes to the last meeting really expressed any additional hawkishness about how far they're going to go or how long they're going to do it. I think the, the, the market, that combined with, Strong economic data. Now, that should be good news, but the U.S. economy has been strong. Maybe it's too strong. Okay, that's part of the problem. We get some weakness in China. Oh, okay, so strength in the U.S., weakness in China. All of these things, I think, were just a catalyst to, to, to spark a sell. But it wasn't any taking. different than July. I get it. Okay, so you know how I, how I, how I see this? Have you ever gone to a beach and you're watching people go walk along the beach and there's always... A few people who are not paying attention to the waves coming in. Yeah. And then they get hit by the wave and they look all surprised. Like, oh, my God, I'm at the ocean. Right. I can hear everything. (laughs) I see other people moving away from the waves coming at them. But it's not going to hit me. Right. And then all of a sudden hits you and you're like, well, I can't believe this happened. Right. That's August. Yeah. I can't believe 
that the economy is not going to continue to grow at the rate I was hoping. I can't believe that the, the central bankers are not going to cut rates this year when they said they're not going to cut rates this year. I can't believe right. that China's slowing down when we've had indication for the last three months that China's slowing down. They, I can't believe that all oh, that real estate manufacturing and commercial growth isn't growing when we've had the same data. The wave has come one, two, three, and then all of a sudden you get hit by a wave and you're like, hmm, maybe I should do something about yeah. this. Yeah. Here's the other thing that's going to confuse the markets a little bit, and I think it has, is, a, is the reacceleration, quotes, air quotes there, of inflation. So we saw Canadian inflation go from 2.8 to 3.3% year over year. Whoa, hang on. Inflation's back. Who's talking about that mainly? Huh? Yeah. Hey, you know, it's the it, press, it, right? It's, it's, it makes it's the headlines. coming out of um, the media who then, and if you look at, here's the setup. Some media outlets are saying this, inflation's back up, and then right. they'll show a extreme case story right. on the article. Right. You know, Sarah <laughs> and Billy can't make their ends meet because inflation has gone back up. So they're taking the headline, they're taking the story and saying this story is everybody's story across the country. Right. No, it's not. Right. And we're going to get some, we'll ask, we'll ask our guest in the next couple of uh, units, uh, sorry, uh, segments we're going to do um, about this because we're, I think we should get some input. It's not what, the story is not the headline story, but, but it will scare markets. It will scare markets. It will scare people um, when they're be their behavior in what they do. Here's what I look at. When I look at the delivery service companies, mm -hmm. UPS, FedEx, so on, there's a shift. The volume is not as high as it was. Well, that means goods are not being sold. You don't package a service in UPS and send it. Right. right? Okay, so goods are going down. When you look at companies like Loblaws, they came out in their financials and they said in their quarterly call, customers are buying down. Mm -hmm. They're not buying the expensive stuff. Walmart just said the same thing. Their, their core essential items yeah. are being purchased. Non-essential, not so much. Right. There's a pause there, right? So there is a shift in behavior. Mm -hmm. Okay, so who's at risk? The entire economy? Right, no. It is the ones that they're moving away from is at risk, not moving towards. Money is moving towards essential versus non-essential. Right. On the flip side, if you look at some <clears throat> of the major car companies, even the luxury brand car companies, sales are doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. So where is this whole, my God, this is going to cause a big problem. Let's sell things off uh, so crazy. I think this is, an, this is an overshooting. This is that wave as you're walking down the ocean, you get hit. And I think people have to just take a step back and go, let's put some logical points in play before we think the valuation of companies should be down 20% or up 20% from this point that the economy is going to go into a deep recession because mm -hmm. that's what the conversation is now happening. So, so let me throw another thing in there for you uh, and we can bat this around. I think it's just natural volatility. So if the market needs an excuse to sell, so it doesn't go up forever. We had months of straight up. 
And then there's some, there's some profit taking. There's some pressure right. to raise. I, I, it, 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 let's not just discount the fact that things just don't go in linear one way all the time. It's choppy. Right. Now, whenever we see you calling it natural volatility, you sound like a Calgarian who says, oh, this is just a Chinook. Right? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay. <clears throat> and you know what? Many times, it's just a Chinook. Right. But there are times where it's not a Chinook, it's a forest fire. Right. And that's why we've got a problem. And what people react, can you imagine if the average Calgarian ran around the city saying, wildfire, wildfire, right. when it was a natural Chinook? Yeah. And that's what's happening. So I do agree with you, this is, this is volatility, not everything goes straight up or linear. I think the reaction that people are having is as if it's not a natural piece of volatility. Yeah, and that's not to say, listen, there is uncertainty, I get it, uncertainty creates volatility, but, but volatility is, I'm gonna use the word systemic, it, it is part of uh, it's part of investing in risk assets. You have to. You have. That's right. So and so I, the shift. Sorry, Dave. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna really jump in here. I know we have a limited amount oh, of time. Oh, we're running out of time. Here, yeah. Here's what's gonna. I think the shift might happen. <clears throat> You're gonna hear people say, "Well, why don't I just buy GICs? Right. Why don't I just buy those five percent GICs and avoid all this volatility? Yeah. And you can. The question I ask when anybody brings it up to me is, "What's the risk of owning a GIC?" Right. And people look at me as if risk is only loss of capital. Right. And it's not. Right. And so what's that list really quickly, because people are gonna say this volatility, I may not have the stomach for it, I'm gonna then bow out and go to the fixed income world, i.e. GICs, right. and buy a 5% right. GIC for one, two, three years, five years, yeah. it doesn't matter. Listen, and you gotta get proper advice on this because GICs fit into portfolios for certain circumstances as Correct. do anything else. Thank but 78% of the time, the bond market outperforms the cash market and the GIC market. There's things like reinvestment risk. What is the rate at the time that I have to go reinvest? Inflation spikes up and you're locked in. All of these things are risks. You need to be conscious of that. Okay, Faisal, um, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting year, right? The setup we had, we started the year with the Magnificent Seven rallying. It wasn't a very broad rally. Things started to broaden out a little bit from a market perspective um, in the middle of the year. We'll call it June, July, August. We're, we're running into some volatility now. What's going on? from an economics perspective, from an inflation perspective, from an interest rate perspective. And then you take that, what you're seeing in the markets, and that's not necessarily what you see happening in the economy. Right. Prices are going up, right. gas is going up, electricity having a whole bunch of uh, issues going on out there. There's a lot of things that are going up for the average Canadian, yeah. and that what's happening in the markets doesn't always line up with what's happening and what they're feeling. Right. right. And so let's make sense of all this then. Okay, we're gonna try to help us do that. We've got Avery Schenfeld, who's CIBC's Chief Economist joining us today. Uh, Avery, welcome to the show. Thanks uh, thanks for joining us. My pleasure to be here with you. So maybe we could start uh, there. If we have to, if the goal is to try to make sense of what's happening, maybe um, if we start with your sense of how this year was shaping up and take us up to uh, up to today and, and sort of how it's rolled out relative to expectations, that, that'll be a good jumping off point. I would say that this year has been mostly a good news story. Um, remember that as we entered 2023, there were a lot of forecasters, we were not among them, but there were a lot of forecasters who were arguing that to get inflation down to the 2% target that the Federal Reserve has in the US and the Bank of Canada has for Canada, that in order to do that, we'd pretty much have to cause a recession. We'd have to raise interest rates enough 
so that we sent the unemployment rate sort of skyrocketing in order to quell demand and bring inflation down. Um, our view was that a lot of the inflation that was there, not only in Canada, but globally, was caused by other factors, factors other than an overheated economy. You know, the legacy of the war in Ukraine, um, which boosted food and energy prices, the supply chain shocks owing to the pandemic, hours worked lost from the pandemic and so on. And that if we were able to cure some of those other diseases, what we'd be left with is a much more manageable inflation problem that wouldn't require a recession to get rid of. And while interest rates have risen more than we would have thought, uh, and the economy has actually held up a little better than we had thought, uh, what has proven correct is that inflation has largely melted away. Uh, we've essentially chopped it in half, a bit more than half based on some measures uh, from where we were at the peak. And we've only done some very modest damage to the unemployment rate in Canada. And there's been no backup whatsoever in the unemployment rate in the US. So we still have an inflation problem. We're not there yet. Uh, but the good news is that I think now uh, virtually everyone is on board with the idea that maybe we don't need a recession uh, to get rid of the remaining inflation. Maybe it's just a matter of slowing the economy a bit um, in order to cool labor markets enough to uh, bring the rest of this inflation story to 2%. Avery, what was it that's happened so far this year that kind of prevented this quote-unquote um, recession from happening? Like, let's take a look at Canada, for example. Some of the numbers that have come in, the economic growth, uh, we keep on seeing some headline news stories that say, well, with all the immigration coming into this country, it's saved us so far. Or, you know, what are some of those key topics or themes that have kind of kept us out of that recession issue, considering all the interest rate increases that the, that the central banks have done over the past 12 months? I think there's a few factors at work here. In Canada, it is true that if you measured growth per capita, it actually hasn't been so great. So part of this is just... We've got more people, they're spending money because we have more people and they're also being employed. Um, so they're producing output as well. Um, so if you, if you did it in per capita terms, growth hasn't been great, but it hasn't been a recession. Uh, but remember as well that in the US where immigration hasn't been such a factor, they also have avoided recession with big interest rate hikes. Part of this is just that we did enter the year with a pretty big stock of savings still. Uh, Canadians and Americans hadn't spent the way they normally do during the pandemic. They had saved some of the money that they would have spent on traveling and restaurants and so on. And so we've been spending down that savings uh, through the first part of the year. That's certainly a part of it. We've been buying cars that we'd have liked to have bought in 2022, but weren't available. And they've been delivered in 2023. So it shows up as economic growth for this year that's really a delayed reaction. But I think one important point is that the squeeze of interest rates takes some time to work its way through. And a lot of this squeeze is still coming. So you've been reading about Canadians with variable rate mortgages or mortgages coming due have had to renew them. But even the Bank of Canada noted that only a minority of Canadians have so far had to reset their mortgage. Uh, but eventually, you know, all the mortgage borrowers will have to renew at a much higher rate. And so that pain is still coming and it hasn't slowed the economy yet, but it's still coming. And it it is going to maybe not create a wave of defaults in the housing market, 
but people who have to spend more on their mortgages are going to have to spend less on something else. And it's really down the road where that will show up. Do you think the Canadians, uh, the Canadian average consumer is forecasting that based on their behavior today? They know that, that costs are going to go up uh, whenever their mortgage matures or whenever their loan has to be renewed or their line of credit has gone up that they're going to start? Are they adjusting their spending behaviors now because of that? Or in typical <laughs> Canadian fashion, do we wait to the last minute and then change? Yeah, I think that there certainly are some Canadians who are aware that this is coming and maybe adjusting spending patterns a bit, or maybe using the opportunity to, if they have the funds, to pay off some of the principal. Uh, but there are other Canadians in variable rate mortgages who are actually building up a problem for the future because uh, the result, the, the, what's happened is that their monthly payments stay unchanged during the term of that mortgage, but less and less of it goes to principal. And in some cases, in fact, they're actually borrowing a little bit more every month. So their principal is actually rising. But when their mortgage comes due, they'll not only have the reset of the interest rate to the new rates, which will be a lot higher, but also a reset of the payments so that they're paying full interest in principal. So I would say that on balance, we probably haven't really done a lot of bracing for this to come, and we'll feel the shock later. Now, there may be some rationality to this, that Canadians are expecting that if inflation comes down, interest rates will come down. And some of the people whose mortgages aren't due, for example, until 2025 may have their fingers crossed that when they get there, they won't renew at the kind of rates we're looking at today. They're probably right but they're still gonna end up renewing a five-year mortgage they took out in 2020 at likely a much higher rate in 2025. We had rock bottom interest rates in 2020. We're not likely to go back to that. So pain is still coming. It may not be as painful as it would look if your mortgage is coming due today. Avery, we have less than two minutes before we have to go to commercial break. Uh, as Canadians, we focus on the Canadian economy. And then when we translate that to the investment world, we think it's a big issue. In the global perspective, Canada is not really a big, a big player. Uh, when you look at the other countries, such as the US, China, and so forth, as a big player. Economically speaking, globally, uh, how have we done year to date? And what are some of the big red flags that you're seeing as we head into the remainder of the year? Well, the biggest red flag, and maybe red is the right color because it's their national color, is China, uh, which is slowing dramatically um, after having initially burst ahead coming out of COVID uh, lockdowns. But some of that is growth that other countries are picking up, gaining market share from China in terms of being a location for exporting goods to the US, for example. China's market share is falling relative to Mexico's, Vietnam's, and so on. So it's not fully reflected in global growth, but it's certainly a key negative. The biggest positive is probably just south of our border, the US, which had a pretty good growth rate in the first quarter, about two and a half percent, and is, uh, or second quarter rather, and looks to be starting the third quarter uh, in pretty good shape. So we haven't seen the slowdown that we feared in our biggest trading partner, and that's certainly helpful to Canada. You know, the question is, we're not there. You, you, you've said in the first segment that the economies have been more resilient than expected. Um, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to stay that way because there is a lag effect that you've referred to. Um, so maybe give us your sense of, uh, of whether or not you feel a recession is coming. Also love your input on where we are with these interest rate hikes. Where are central banks at right now? 
Our view has been and continues to be that we don't need a recession to get inflation back to 2%, and that if the central banks make the right decisions on interest rates, in other words, don't overdo the rate hikes, we'll avoid an outright recession. So we're looking for something that you would call a soft landing scenario, but we do have to give you some hard truths about what we call soft landings. They could easily include a, a, a negative quarter. Uh, I think they will include a period of two or three quarters where growth is so slow, it might be still positive, but slow enough that the unemployment rate moves up. In Canada's case, we're at five and a half percent. We're probably headed for something like six, similar sort of percentage point rise in the US unemployment rate. So while it might not technically be a full recession, I don't think it has to be, um, it's certainly gonna feel like something close to that. And if the economy spends three quarters where it barely grows, there will certainly be parts of the economy uh, that will be in decline. So we do expect a slowing in construction spending. The office sector, for example, is grossly overdone now. So we're gonna have a big pullback in construction of office towers. Um, so there are segments of the economy that will fall into what you think of as a, a sectoral recession in effect, even if the overall call economy in our view, still likely ekes out some growth over the next few quarters. Avery, we've had many debates and conversations in this office about both the US and the Canadian <clears throat> central bankers. Sometimes the debate goes like this. They've gone too far too fast, Faisal. They shouldn't have raised interest rates this much. So I, I yield to you now. What are your thoughts, Bank of Canada, Federal Reserve? Have they gone too far? Should they have just stopped at a certain point before uh, should they stop now? Should they change the communication of what they're doing? Like, what should they do now? And do you think they've gone too far? My view was that back in July, the Bank of Canada shouldn't have hiked rates, not because we knew for certain that that rate hike wasn't necessary, but our view was inflation was making enough progress that they had the luxury of stopping and waiting again to see how the numbers have looked. Uh, the last three employment reports have shown a gradual uptick in the unemployment rate. And if that continues, uh, that's in fact what they're looking for. They're looking for a bit of a rise in the unemployment rate. And I think the last three months are starting to hint that maybe interest rates are high enough to do that. So inflation isn't as low as either the Bank of Canada or the Federal Reserve would like to see. But at least in Canada's case, we are opening up some slack in the labor market that might bring us to that inflation world. So maybe we don't need to raise rates again, although I think the Bank of Canada could still go ahead with one more in September. Uh, for the Federal Reserve, it's tougher to argue they've overdone it because the economy is still kind of chugging along quite nicely. Um, so I think with, with the hindsight of the recent economic data, it is tougher to make a case that the Federal Reserve has done too much. But again, maybe they'll hike one more time. I think at that point, again, given how low inflation has been lately and how quickly it's come down, they too have the luxury of saying, let's wait and see. Let's wait five, six months and see whether or not we've slowed the economy enough. And our view is they probably have. Avery, over the decades, I've always been told that when the US gets uh, the sniffles, Canada gets the flu, if they're gonna have slowing <clears throat> economic growth, just above the zero rate level, does that mean the Canadian economy is gonna go into a recession? Are we gonna get the flu when the US slows down? So let's ask that full question, Canada, US, who's going into recession? 
you know, it's a bit of a myth that um, that we are always worse off than the U.S. in recessions. Actually, it's pretty much a tie. Uh, there have been recessions uh, there that have hit Canada harder. But, you know, the great financial crisis recession was a much tougher one for the U.S. than it was for Canada. Uh, so it, it, it's a 50-50 thing. I think in both cases, we're looking for more of a stall for a few quarters in growth rather than an outright recession. But if the Federal Reserve were to continue to hike uh, blindly sort of ignoring the fact that the lagged impacts of the previous hikes are still to come and they drive the U.S. into recession, I think history says that it would be tough for Canada to avoid one. Avery, let's talk just a little bit about um, inflation again. There was a reacceleration in um in Canada, I guess, in uh, in the last print, there has been some discussion and some concern raised around that. Your thoughts around uh, whether or not inflation uh, could or will uh, reaccelerate here? So it is it is reaccelerating, but I'm not particularly worried about it. So what we had before was the big benefit of gasoline prices being lower than they were a year ago, gradually driving inflation way down. And we've sort of reached the end of that story. Oil prices have essentially leveled off. In fact, they moved up a little bit from the lows. And so gasoline prices are going to be a much more of a neutral factor. And that's making the numbers look a little worse when you're not getting that big benefit. On, we also have mortgage interest costs moving up. So perversely, as the Bank of Canada raises interest rates and people have to pay more for their mortgage, uh, that shows up as higher inflation in that component. But if we look through those two segments, actually, the rest of the numbers are cooling. So I think overall, I, I still think you can make the case that we're starting to make, still making some progress against that underlying inflation trend. Again, we might we might see a few more months where inflation goes higher rather than lower because of gasoline prices. Uh, but I, our view is that you know by the time we're into mid 2024, for example, we're going to be in the vicinity of that two percent rate that we're looking for. Let's translate this information and this forecast onto large corporations and and their their financials. When we look at the Canadian economy, uh, we're pretty much four to five major sectors. Uh, you look at the U.S. a bit more diverse. With all the data that's coming your way, what's what's in store for Canadian corporations in aggregate and U.S. corporations, even though they're, they're somewhat more global uh, in aggregate? How do you how do you see that it translates to their financials? So this is certainly better than uh, where what we would be in if we were headed for a big recession. But that said, a soft landing isn't really that soft for corporate profits. If you have a period of negligible growth, you actually typically have a period where earnings decline. You know, labor is picking up uh, some bargaining power here. So they're squeezing companies for bigger wages. And as inflation slows, that's implying that companies won't be able to pass that all on in their prices. So it's a bit of a squeeze on margins. And then you don't get the volume growth because the economy is sort of flattened out for a little bit. This is all still coming. Uh, but I think it means that we, we will spend a little while here where earnings are, are in a sense, disappointing. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of hoopla coming from earnings. And we're dealing with pretty high interest rates right now, too, which reduces valuations in some sectors. So I think I'm a bit cautious on the equity market environment uh, in the near term. The good news is that if we don't have an outright recession, then there'll be a point where the market starts to anticipate that we're through the worst on inflation. We managed to avoid a big recession uh, and gets a little more optimistic again about earnings growth. But I think we're not there yet. We're in a period where 
we're still facing this economic slowdown. It hasn't hit us yet. And it means that the earnings reports are still um, going to look a little on the soft side. We've got about a minute or so, Avery, just a, a quick comment on, uh, on rate cuts. Uh, the bond market um, seems to be uh, suggesting that we might see rate cuts by major central banks starting next year. Your thoughts? I think that rates are high enough now that if inflation comes down, we'll need to dial down interest rates towards the middle of next year um, and in the latter half of the year. Rates would be too high, for example, relative to inflation for an economy where inflation has come down towards that 2% mark. So some interest rate cuts are certainly going to be warranted. The Bank of Canada also has to worry about people whose mortgages are coming due in 2025, who took out mortgages at very, very low rates in 2020. How much do we want to beat up on that part of the Canadian household sector if inflation is then under better control? I think not that much. Uh, but what we probably won't see is a return to the ultra low interest rates that we had in the last cycle. Uh, from a historical perspective, those were very unusual. So we may end up in 2025 with the overnight interest rate below 3%, for example, uh, but unlikely to see rates below 2% uh, at any time soon. So um, for those people thinking, will I be able to get a mortgage at the rate I got in 2020? If we get to 2025 or 26, it's highly unlikely. Avery, thank you very much for your input. As always, we appreciate it. My pleasure. We've been joined by Avery Schenfeld, Chief Economist, CIBC. Uh, a really good review of where we have come from, where we are right now, right? Still lots of uncertainty around that. I'll tell you where people are, are getting worried. You get this spike up in volatility again, Basil, and where am I going to get my income from? This in retirement is the number one issue that terrifies people. You know, when you look at what Avery talked about as uh, from an economic perspective, how it translates to some corporations are going to have some challenges yep. going in the near term. Inflation is still going to be high. Interest rates are not going to go back down to what it was in, let's say, 2020. Um, and so... And profit margins get squeezed. And profit margins get squeezed. So financials are going to be impacted. Okay, so now, how am I going to be able to retire with my income? Right. And, you know, we, we they sit down with their advisor or they build their own portfolios and they're building based on a couple of areas. Yep. One, let's look at growth. Let's just grow our portfolio. And we get an opportunity to meet with many of our viewers and listeners and they say, can you give me a second opinion right. on, on how I'm uh, constructed my portfolio for my retirement? And we generally see three themes. One, 100% growth. Right. They're all looking for you know, high growth investments yeah. and they're going to live on capital gain. Capital gain. Yeah. The other one is a more balanced approach. They take a percentage, let's say 60% in stocks, 40% bonds, and a more yep. balanced approach to that. And they're living off that as income. The third one is dividends. So let's kind of address all those three different strategies where are the concerns, given everything Avery's talked to us about in the previous two segments, and where we're headed towards possibly a recession or a, you know, a soft landing, which still has impact to Canadians. Let's start with the first one, dividend paying stocks as a way of receiving income. What are your thoughts? So it's, it's, an, it's an attractive idea, but it's, it's, a, it's a risky proposition, in my opinion, right? And there's, there's a number of things that factor. Let's just talk about this idea of living on a fixed income. Correct. Okay. okay. So, so if you've got a dividend-paying portfolio and it's paying out X amount of dollars and you need X plus Y because you're going to take a special trip, where do you get that additional income from? Well, in a dividend-paying portfolio, you have to sell stock. Okay. Well, there's a couple of problems with that, right? I have now just sold some of the assets 
that I'm using to generate income. So perpetually going forward. And, and here's what generally happens, Dave. Let's say a person has, make, make up a number, a million dollars. They yeah. need $50,000 from it. Yeah. They know they can't get a 5% return long-term out of the bond market or GICs. When you start going further out, you don't get that return all the time. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, I gotta buy some stocks. It'll pay me five or 6% because I gotta pay tax and yep, all this yep. stuff. And now you're in a high dividend yielding portfolio. And then one year you need some more money. Right, and you might have to sell some of those stocks, which perpetually, you've, you've sold an asset that generates or, income. Or what's the opposite to that? They don't go on the trip. Or, or yeah, you don't go on the trip. Well, here's the thing, people will go on the trip. We know that. People go, so either way, it's, it's a bad news scenario, fair enough. The other thing is, financials could be impacted, right? So if profits come down, and we saw this in 2020, what do companies do to preserve cash flow? They often cut dividends. And if you get a dividend cut, not only do you lose your income, but you often have a material impact on the share price. So now I've, if I have to sell stock, that stock has fallen in value and I don't have the income, it's a bit of a double whammy. So it's an attractive idea from a tax perspective and all of those other things that people think about, but there's some risk when it comes into the, the need for predictable, sustainable income. That it, it's a potential challenge. So that's, so that's where the dividend strategy has major risks associated to it. You're a growth guy. Let's talk I'm a about growth. growth. Guy. I'm a growth guy. I think Why when you I'm start one? investing in companies that can give you better growth than the economy can grow at, mm -hmm. the valuation of those companies will always be faster than the economy. Right. Okay, so now if you use that as a premise, just buy a whole bunch of growth stocks. Right. Well, the economy doesn't grow in a straight line. Right. And we're seeing that in the month of August already. How much volatility have we had in the last little while? That's a risk right there. So when the when you're drawing your income, yeah. you have to time your income perfectly. That means you need to know what's going to happen before it happens. That's a problem. That's impossible. Right. So you cannot rely on growth strategy to draw from the capital gain to live your lifestyle because sometimes... It's a capital loss. Yeah. Right. Uh, and anybody that has questions about the impact of that particular strategy, I'm happy to, to talk about that. Just, just contact me because I've, I've watched, I watched my parents go through something similar to this and it was a difficult situation. So I'm um, very negative on that particular strategy. Let's go to the, the, the typical uh, recommendation you see with financial institutions in this country. It's a balanced portfolio. Uh, let's call it 60% equities, 40% bonds. You can pick your number 50, 50, yeah. 70, or whatever, whatever the number is. Yeah. It's a balanced portfolio. Draw your income from that. What's the what's the problem with that one? Well, you, you have similar risks to the ones we just explained in the growth portfolio, um, but you've got this notion of a single bucket. So so one of the things that, that is problematic as people transition into retirement is they move from an environment when they were accumulating wealth and had a single goal of growth yep. to an environment where you've, you've got a complicated set of often conflicting or competing objectives, income growth, so on and so forth. So a balanced portfolio is a little less risky than what an all growth portfolio would be, but it, it's essentially the same, the same problem. You've got a single bucket trying to do everything and in a down market, you have to sell in a down market, that money's gone, you've spent it, it's not there to recover. Dave, over the 25 years I've been doing this, I've learned a, a few things. First of all, find out who are the smartest groups or people that have the same problems you have. Right. And have figured out or solved those problems 
for most, most of the cases. And what are the common themes amongst that group, right? Correct. Okay, so let's go through a person transitioning to living in retirement has a fixed amount of assets. Mm -hmm. They're not making any more income coming in. They need to spend that income, yep. they need to grow that income, and they have to be ready for every economic condition. What other entity out there is in the same predicament as a retiree? So let me refer back a couple of shows. Remember we did that report, uh, we talked about that report and what Canadians value. They, they valued uh, predictable, sustainable, okay? Lifetime income, where do you get that from? You get them from defined benefit pension plans. Correct. Canada Pension Plan is an example of that or perhaps you have a company plan, it's a defined benefit, meaning you get a guaranteed payment every single month. More Canadians today value that than they did in 2016. How do you create that? How do the pension plans do it? Do they put everything in growth? Is all of their money invested in dividend paying stocks? Or is all of the money invested even in a balanced portfolio? And this is where we've built the entire structure of the income bucket, the growth bucket. You definitely want to look at this because we have adopted the strategies of major pension plans around the world who've been successful and we've brought them home to the average Canadian. And that kind of strategy makes them understand that, look, you're not gonna take exorbitant amount of risk. Right. You're not gonna have to change your lifestyle because the markets didn't work out for you. Mm -hmm. You're not reliant on some company declaring dividends. You're not reliant on any one major risk outcome because you have the structure and the discipline to reach those goals. Right. No different than a pension plan. Right. Every pension plan tells its pensioners, here's how much income you're gonna get. They also even give you a report. What's the probability of success or the viability of the yep. pension? Yep. This is not happening to the average Canadian. They don't give themselves that same type of respect yep. or they don't give them the same type of structure. Right. And that's what we're gonna be bringing to our clients. That's what we're gonna show you at our upcoming seminar on Tuesday, September 26th at the Hamptons Golf Club. Uh, you need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right. Uh, so thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money. If you want to get our monthly, our, sorry, our weekly podcast, go to morethanmoneyradio.com. You can sign up there. On behalf of Faisal, myself, Dave, thank you very much for tuning in. You're on QR Calgary and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.